Good evening, or hello, and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for today, or in the morning, or whenever you happen to be listening. To Today, we have a very special guest. Well, I think he's special because I like and enjoy his work. It is the one, the only, the rather wonderful Mr. John Gilmore. So, hello, John. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's been um, it's been over a year since you were on, so <laughs> that's mm-hmm. why I was looking back. So it's been some time. So I noticed that um, things have been things have been really quiet for you. You've only done about what eight, nine games. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm real close to ten overall releases. I mean, what's, like, that are out in the market. I mean, have you actually been doing any work at all? I mean, you seem to be just sitting back and relaxing and (laughs) yeah i just sit back relax and play board games all the time that's pretty much it (laughs) oh dear but seriously i think um the way to look at it is if you if you podcasted as often as you made board games you would probably be releasing about an episode every day at the moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'd I'd be i'd have about the output of the mcelroy brothers (laughs) (laughs) oh dear I've, is that the Adventure Times um, podcast? Uh, yeah, Adventure Zone and uh, My yeah. Brother, My Brother. Yeah, yeah. I've and kind like of eighteen other podcasts. Yeah, I kind of um, I heard about them recently on um, staying in, and so I've downloaded the first couple of episodes to give it a listen because um, apparently other podcasts are now available. So I've been discovering these <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> no, but as we say. Um, yeah, as I say, first of all, thank you for coming on. It's brilliant to have you back on. For everybody that hasn't listened to us before, thank you for um, thank you for joining and thank you for listening. Um, you notice on the left hand side that there are actually um, we are bringing in some ice cream tonight, and there is the usual selection of biscuits. On the right hand side, there will be coffee, and there's also some fresh lemonade because we have to. Um, but the reason that we do this is because. We still think that there's not enough podcasts out there about board games. And the second reason is that John Gilmore's been really busy over the last year and I thought if I didn't get him on now, we wouldn't have enough time to go through everything that he's been up to. (laughs) So that's why... I'll always make time for you guys. Oh, that's... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So last time we spoke... um, Wasteland Express Delivery Service, we touched on that. It was kind of kind of under development mm-hmm. and um it's gone on it's now um it's gone out to people. People are now yes. playing it and uh, and have you are you how 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 do you think the reaction's gone to that? Are you are you pleased how people have been reacting to that? Because it seems to be overwhelmingly very, very positive. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been really good. I think you're always going to have uh, th- the response has been a lot like Dead of Winter. The people that love it are absolutely going bonkers over it, and uh-huh. the people that hate it really like to talk about how much they dislike it. <laughs> but <laughs> I think like... that's a good thing. I think I think negative. I think people being negative about your game mm-hmm. is just as good and important for its success as people being positive. I think there'd be nothing worse. Them putting out a game and uh, people kind of um, not saying anything at all, not saying yeah. you know saying that they liked it, and the people that you didn't make them kind of dislike it enough, so they'd say, "Well, I would do it this way, I would do it that way," because it's all about you know you can never kind of make the 
I guess you can never kind of make the perfect game. Um, I, I can only make the game that's going to make me the most happy, and then if other people like that, then great. And if they don't, then at least I still have a game that I want to play a whole bunch of times. Yeah. I mean, the um, one of the things that's come out is people are going crazy over the inlays. You never mentioned about the inlays when the last time you spoke. Was that kind of like, was that part of the design decision when you were going through it, or was that something you discussed with like Pandasaurus about the kind of making sure that the the trays kind of stacked up and were organized as well as they could be? It definitely wasn't um, part of the design decisions early on in the process, um, but once we got to the point where we were playtesting it. You know, just about every week or every other week, we we're meeting up and playtesting it uh, mm. with Matt and Ben, or I was playtesting it with my little group. Yeah. Um, we realized that setup for the game was about 30 minutes. Yeah. Like, to dump everything out of baggies and sort everything out and set everything up. Um, and I'm a big fan of game trays and everything that they do. Um, and someone had made an introduction... Um, with me with uh, Dame Trays, so I made the introduction to Pandasaurus, mm-hmm. um, and then I kind of I was like, Nathan, Molly, you guys should really think <laughs> about talking to these guys and see what we can do. And you know, they took uh, you know what was about thirty five minutes to set up and turned it to about. I mean, I can set up the game in less than like usually about seven minutes. Do you do timed? Um, do you do time challenges? <laughs> uh, Nathan did a video where he timed himself uh, before it came out. Uh, so there's one on YouTube of him trying to time challenge himself, and it's it's real fast. <laughs> he does it really, really exceptionally fast. But I think that's yeah. the thing. I mean, um, everybody, um, people talk about other games and the fact that you open up the box and you've got like. 15 baggies full of different game, full of different components. Then you got to search through the baggies. And then there's a difference between the starting stuff that you start with the game and the mid stuff that you need to play and stuff like that. So I think that's kind of... That's why I've, I think there's been a, a lot of kind of um, kind of positive um, praise for it. Um, and have you... I mean, in terms of going forward with uh, with Wasteland Express... Are you planning, are you thinking about kind of potential expansions, add-ons, anything like that for the game, or can you not can you not talk about that? Or? Um, I mean, as soon as soon as we saw the response to it, mm. um, you know, we knew that uh, orders, uh, you know, before um, before it came out, it was essentially sold out at the distributor level. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had the few copies that we were bringing to Gen Con. Um, and when that happened, we kind of started the discussion right away about, you know, uh, we should probably start on the next thing for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice cause they, uh, we don't really have anything planned yet, but they built us some space in the box to, you know, add another tray worth of stuff later on. So. All right. Okay. So the potential uh, is there for you to be putting a whole load, a whole kind of pile of goodies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, you, you put like 10 of the inserts in underneath the trays. Mm-hmm. So there's a good little bit of space underneath that we can squeeze stuff in later. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think uh, we have some really good ideas. Um, it's already a pretty big game. We, 
we spend a lot of time cutting things out, but most of the stuff that we cut out isn't stuff that we want to put back into it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're trying to be real picky about what we do. And there's there's always this period when a game comes out, um, and even though the reception's good, um, and I'm paying a lot of attention to what people are saying that are playing it, um, so I can kind of know like some of the things that we should try to um, address in an expansion and you know try to um, improve. Yeah, I mean, um, that comes down to the people that maybe haven't, you know, as we say, they kind of haven't liked it, they haven't kind of been as passionate about it as other people, and it's good to kind of get their, as I say, get their kind of feedback on it and see what they, they kind of think about it. Um, for people that haven't heard of it or haven't could look to Wasteland Express delivery service, is it still available now? Can people go out and, and kind of grab themselves a copy? Um, so right now it's it's sold out at the distributor level, which means that um, you're probably not going to find it online. I think last time I looked, Cool Stuff had like three copies in stock, and that was it. Um, and that was last week, so they may be gone. Um, but if your friendly local game store has a copy, then it's going to be there. Um, you'll just have to call around. Okay. Um, the good news was, is, uh, we kind of, as soon as we thought that the response was going to be good, we queued up the second printing of it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be on the boat with, uh, Dinosaur Island here at the end, like middle to end of October. So, um, in November, there'll be another full uh print run of it coming out that's pretty good i mean are you i mean in terms of um how it's doing kind of has it is it kind of going near kind of like dead of winter levels i mean is this another big super smash game out of the the gilmore brain basically (laughs) um it's tough to say i know the response has been real similar to how it was with dead of winter where people are um pretty divided on both sides of the fence but Mm -hmm. Um, over time, sales will show. I know that, uh, there's a lot of talk, um, with foreign language partners right now, which would be nice. Yeah. Um, and, and some other projects. Um, so hopefully, I mean, I don't think it'll probably do quite as well as Dead of Winter because I, I think the market's just starting. We had a real trend over like the last four years towards, uh, like micro games and entry level games and things like that with, yeah. you know, the huge growth that the game market's going through. And I think that the market's going to upswing like over the next four years to like middleweight games. Yeah. So I think, I think it's going to be one of those games that hits that medium weight, like right at the beginning of that upswing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, hopefully it'll be around for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I say, there's, um, there's, there's a lot of buzz going for it at the moment. I mean, um, when you're going to be doing, of you being the type of person that you are in terms of kind of always looking at mechanics and looking how to improve things, do you have a little list of things that you would maybe slightly alter in the existing game, or you just you, have you had to step away and say, right, that's it, it's finished, let's not kind of tinker with it anymore? I mean, you always kind of have to draw that line of it's finished, we're hmm. not going to tinker with it anymore. Um, but I definitely have like a, a pretty small list of stuff that I feel like we just kind of, at one point, you know, brushed our hands and said, okay, this is going to have to be done. And, you know, hopefully that's stuff we can do better in the expansion. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, okay, okay. Uh, and then on the flip side, as you, you've mentioned it already, you've got kind of like um, Dinosaur Island, which mm-hmm. um, if Wasteland Express is the dystopian ap- um, apocalyptic future, and this is where I wish I picked a different word, then <laughs> Di- Dinosaur Island is the um, is the Daglo Jurassic joyous world of um, pastel shades and bright colours, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, both names have fantastic color schemes. Uh, mm-hmm. Nate and Molly did a fantastic job with art direction on both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got a, a comic book artist to do the art for Wasteland Express. That looks fantastic. Yeah, and then for Dinosaur Island, they got Quan Chai, who is also fantastic, to do the art for that. Yeah. Um, and in both cases, I think they're really... They're both products that just really jump off the shelves, and when people see the box, they don't look like anything else on the market right now. No, definitely. I mean, definitely not. I think um, again, it was um, it was almost like a, it was a strange thing. There was a lot of people that went, "This game looks absolutely fantastic," and then people went, "This game would look amazing if I was stuck in a forest and I needed some kind of bright light source to kind of shine <laughs> out because." It's really you've. Re- I mean, you've gone for kind of like um, you've not gone for like traditional color dinosaurs. I mean, you've got bright. <laughs> is it bright pink dinosaurs in the game? Oh yeah, the the meeples are all the dino meeples are all bright, bright pink. They're yeah. fantastic. You've not gone for the. I mean, well, I suppose um, scientists out there will probably claim that we don't actually know what color dinosaurs really were. So, you know, there could be potentiality that the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex did go about bright pink and orange. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and we're getting a better there. idea of it, but uh, we wanted to kind of like step back to, um, you know, our childhood where dinosaurs were still, like we were just learning about them and we didn't know a lot of the things. So, mm-hmm. and you know, there's 200 and... 50,000 other games on the market yeah. and we wanted a game that on the table is going to look completely different than those games. So was a it was a con- was it a conscious decision to kind of step out the traditional I guess the kind of the traditional art box and kind of make it kind of really really stand out because you've got like this you've got other little things you've kind of like as well as the meeples you've got to look at the snap bracelets that you're going to be giving out <laughs> as well. Um um yeah a lot of those were just uh, we wanted to do really fun stuff mm-hmm. um, because we put the pods in the game and the slap bracelets and um, you know pretty much they're all kind of low cost things that we could do that were exciting mm-hmm. that wasn't adding more content to the game. But the mechanics they seem to be kind of medium medium weight mechanics in terms of what you actually kind of do. So it's it seems to be a game that's still going to be quite... You're going to be still very, very involved in it when you're actually playing it. Um, I've had a lot of people compare that have played it compare it to, like, the weight of Vinhos. All right, okay. So it's like a nice, like, light to medium worker placement game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... I, I kind of wanted to do that to get away... I mean, at its core, and I don't think people realize that, like, I mean, Dead of Winter has some kind of Euro y mechanics to it. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Feld was kind of the inspiration for like the dice allocation mechanics um, in Dead of Winter for me. Um, which is funny to say that when I say Feld is an inspiration for Dead of Winter. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but with these games, like I wanted to try to, you know, do. To me, the best games are uh, what Matt and Ben call mid-Atlantic games. Yeah, you know, they kind of take the the smart Euro play and add in some Amerithrash style, you know, randomness and fun. And that's that's what we wanted to do, especially with Wasteland Express. You know, we wanted to be pick up and deliver, but with combat and quests, and it's not just whoever has the most money at the end of the game. It's a race to three victory points, and you can get those victory points by doing different quests. And the quests can be economic-based, or they can be combat-based. Yeah. But even the combat is like kind of driven by the economic portion of it, because you need to get money to like modify your truck and you know make it awesome. I mean, with you design, I mean, with you kind of hitting your stride with. You've, you know, are you are you thinking about other mechanics to kind of include in future games? Do you have a big kind of like ticking off list, or are you constantly experimenting with kind of new, maybe more complicated mechanics to introduce to kind of like a a kind of a wider audience? Um, I'd like to think that I'm always experimenting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still have a couple games that I like to check off. Um, my list. Um. Asteroids, which is one of the upcoming Atari games. Uh, we yeah. just released the first one, Centipede. Um, and Asteroids is a dexterity game, so that'll be my first dexterity game that I worked on. Okay. Um, because, I mean, Dead of Winter Flick Up just came out, but that was kind of all developed by uh, Pretzel Games. I didn't get to do much work on that. Yeah. Did you? Did they um, send you a kind of... Did you get a copy of um, Flick em Up Dead of Winter then? Uh, I should have one pretty soon. Yeah, I have I have some copies of it coming. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you looking? Do you are you aware of what they've kind of done with the with the IP and the mechanics? And have you been able to keep a track on what they're actually kind of doing? Oh yeah, like they've they've kept me abreast of the project, but it was kind of nice because uh, they just kind of did it all in house. And then you know when I would see them at like the gathering of friends or at Gen Con, they'd update me on things and and show me what was going on. Hmm. Did you feel it was kind of letting somebody kind of kind of babysit one of your kids kind of thing? You know, it's like, you be careful. I don't want this getting kind of... Don't, <laughs> don't let it stay up until goodness knows whatever time, whatever you do, don't feed it soda just before it goes to bed kind of thing. You, you know, is it... You still kind of got that protective arm around kind of like the dead of winter kind of IP? Um, I think... I think maybe... If that had been my only game at that point, yeah. Um, but I think it's also like like actual kids. You know, <laughs> I I have four kids, so like now my kids are like, oh, I, I want to, you know, go run around in the street. And I'm like, okay, that just don't get hit by a car. It's fine. <laughs> you gotta love them all equally, haven't you? I mean, oh, absolutely. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah. By the by, your fourth kid, you're like, oh, just do whatever you want. <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's like the first one you're kind of letting, you know, you kind of wrap them up in cotton wool and you gently walk them up the stairs and you shudder every time they kind of blink or cough or anything like that. By the time you get into the fourth one, you're asking them to make you a cup of tea by the time they're like three years old. To just, exactly. put the, just put the kettle on. How to check, check it's ready? Well, just, you know, just touch the side of the kettle, but really quickly. <laughs> don't want you kind of burn. Don't want you kind of burn in your hand. Um, but it's, been, it's it's been really fun to like see other people p- 
play with that universe. Same with the uh, Dead Winter comic book. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's really neat to see somebody else's take on uh, that. And I got to meet Kyle, who's the writer of it at um, at Gen Con, and I also met Dabo, who's the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was nice to sit down with both of them. And like Kyle's a huge like he got introduced to Dead and Winter, and he's like, I want to make a comic book about it. <laughs> so. I mean, he's a fan of the source material, and to see him, like, do these weird stories with these characters that I love is pretty fantastic. Did you, um, did they ask you questions about people's backstory, or had they kind of used other source material in order to to flesh out the backstory, or were they kind of given a little bit of free reign with a bit of kind of editorial at the back to keep them on the right path? Um, I was actually pretty surprised. I found out when the official announcement for it happened uh, right, that it okay. was happening. Um, so, again, it was another project that I wasn't super involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they were kind of given, like, I, uh, Charlie, who's the lead editor of Oni Press, yeah. um, I mean, kind of has an existing relationship where, you know, we all go to Gen Con. So, like, I've known Charlie for a few years. Colby knows Charlie. Isaac knows Charlie, so we all we all talk every year, and he's a big game fan. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and with the um, continued expansions um, for Dead of Winter, where's what's your involvement going to be like for that? Are you kind of stepping away from that side of things because there's you've obviously you've had the long night, and then there's the kind of almost like the factions game, the two factions kind of fighting each other, which the name escapes the Warren Colonies. <laughs> um, I mean, what's your involvement like in in the kind of the next kind of Dead of Winter franchise games? Uh, so the one night I was pretty heavily involved in at first, mm. um, but because I'm I'm freelance, it it was kind of like a lot of my other games where uh, once I signed the contract, I kind of hand everything over to the company and put my faith in them. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, luckily Isaac is my co-designer on it, and he is full-time and the lead developer for Plaid Hat. So, you know, he still, um, you know, was involved in the entire process. Um, but uh, a lot of times, it's just um, once you sign that contract, the company takes over. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty lucky in that, like, Pandasaurus keeps me pretty well involved in projects, and they... I mean, they still make all the final decisions, but they kind of come to me and, you know, they'll ask my input or, like, we'll have meetings and talk about, you know, what they think the art direction should be. Yeah. What, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of things that are obviously going to be kind of coming up, kind of going on. I guess one of the, you've um, you've got the Kickstarter going on at the moment for News at Eleven. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a little, touch a little bit on that? Just tell us a little bit about that. I'd love to. Uh, News of Eleven is a um, recursive storytelling game uh, where we play a group of new ca- newscasters um, in kind of a world that's gone weird. Um, we start the game by filling out uh, some information on the cue cards, and we'll write like uh, write like on uh, write on them with. Uh, you know, marker and it's permanent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- there's a bunch of cue cards and ton- it's gonna you'll you'll get twenty or thirty plays out of it before you fill them all out. All right, um, okay. But we start by filling out those cue cards, and then uh, in the morning news, everybody gets one of those cue cards, um, 
and uh, one of the players is the lead anchor, and the lead anchor will kind of start by telling uh, like what the big news of the day is using his card, um, and then he'll kind of kick it over to somebody else. Um, so I'd be, and yeah, you know, I'd be like, well, now here's uh, Richard with weather and traffic. Okay. Um, and then you'd have to tell me about the weather and traffic using the card that's in your hand. Um, and your card may say, like, banana hammock day. Uh, because we had to fill in, like, a weird clothing item, and then the, there was a, already the word day on the bottom of the card. Uh, and then you'd have to tell us the news about why banana hammock day is, you know, slowing down traffic downtown. Well, it's obviously because... As per usual, there's always one person that decides that they've got to bring along not just one inflatable six-foot banana, but at least um, half a dozen. So what's happened (laughs) is they've had them in the back of their truck, and unfortunately across Junction 8, you'll find that there's about... Him and three of their friends have brought along about maybe potentially 24 floating bananas, and that has unfortunately caused massive two two to three kilometre tailbacks across from Junction 8 heading into Junction 9. You might want to take the... um, the route through the city instead. And now, <laughs> to sport with John. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, you know, we'll go through, the, we'll, we'll tell the morning news, and then we'll take all the cards from the morning, shuffle them up, deal them back out randomly, and then give everybody one more card. And then you have to use both of the cards for the afternoon news. All right, okay. And then for the evening news, we'll take all the cards from the afternoon, shuffle them out, deal them back out, and then give everybody one more card for the evening news. All right, okay. So it has this like really nice way of, you know, the things that happen in the morning end up in the evening and afternoon news and kind of layer on each other um, and build these fantastic stories. Um, it's a storytelling game that I've played with uh, a lot of people that say that they hate storytelling games. Yeah. And they all kind of, they all end up loving it because the cue cards like really give you a lot of direction. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, in my opinion, um, and and I and I don't want to sound conceited when I say this, but I think it's the best party game in existence <laughs> because it's not you just like reciting somebody else's jokes. Yeah, it's not. It's not just I'm playing a punchline to the joke. Like you, you get to be funny because you're a funny person. Uh-huh. And even if you're not a funny person, there's still ways for you to participate that you feel like it's hilarious. And it's one of those games that does exactly what I want games to do, in that it builds these um, these huge moments and jokes that we're going to talk about for years. Like <laughs> um, uh, there was a game of it two uh, two years ago that we played. Hmm. Um, and somebody, uh, I think the card was day at the bottom. Um, and, and somebody, uh, we were filling them out in the beginning and somebody asked for a number. Um, and I think Chris leader was like a silly number. <laughs> okay. So somebody just, uh, uh, shouted out silly eight. <laughs> so we wrote down silly eight at the top of it. Um, and then we, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the news, someone talked, started coming up with, like, they had to come up with what Silly 8 Day was. And they're like, oh, it's like this huge celebration in town uh, where people eat eight meals in one day. Um, and it ended up coming up in weather and traffic. So it was like in the morning and people were, like, throwing up in the streets because they'd already had, like, three meals that day. 
my goodness. Um, and everything ground to a, ha- a halt. But, but we had so much fun in that game of it that um, one of the players, Curtis, like made everybody uh, Silly 8 t-shirts that say, like, Silly 8, Food's Greatest Day on it. <laughs> so it's just, it's one of those games that does that sort of thing, and I love it. And you've, I mean, you've got the option to buy, um, if you get two copies of the game, you can obviously make a fun version with a kid, you can have kind of like an adult version, as long as you don't want to kind of mix them up. Um, yep, it's not, it's not inherently dirty, and it's not inherently clean, um. You can yeah. play whichever style you want, which is nice. Yeah, and of course, to me, when people talk about an adult version of a game, I would, you know, I would be expecting them to write things like mortgage and car payments. <laughs> <laughs> Some, sometimes that's what it is. <laughs> or some, sometimes, that kind of thing, I mean, that's that's an adult that's an adult um, themed game, as far as I'm concerned. You know, <laughs> or some, sometimes you have to tell the obituaries and talk about why. People are dying because of the genital birds that are attacking everybody's genitals. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and I mean, do you? I guess you could put challenges in this to say that you're not allowed as the newscaster. You're not allowed to kind of laugh or anything oh, yeah. like that. You know, you can put different challenges on kind of people as well. Which is it's, kinda... it's super fun to try to not break character when you're playing it because it's so hard. Do you have a newscaster voice then, John? Uh, I I don't think I do. I don't have a good... I'm not a good voice person. Um, you know, I can usually improv some pretty funny stuff, but uh, I'm not I'm not great. We've had we've had some people though. Oh man, they were so good as newscasters. Because <laughs> they don't just talk like normal people. They kind of put on. Well, in the over here in the in the UK, you can tell quite clearly like when you you have like a kind of a well-spoken person reading the news because it's very kind of perceived tonight and this is what's going to be happening and you know they're very very well spoken they kind of the american kind of newscasters they kind of try and talk american posh mm-hmm. which is kind of some kind of weird hybrid kind of languagey yeah. type thing and it's really difficult to it's not something you... I don't think you would ever see an American newscaster out in the street speaking in the same voice that they would talk about when they were on the kind of the news. So it must be kind of like a whole... <laughs> it seems like they always try to like drop their voice down in Octave. And, and tonight <laughs> with the news we have... Exactly. And everything's kind of clipped. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was picking his feet in Poughkeepsie, but we found him <laughs> later on. Um, and there's a random, there's a random quote for you. <laughs> uh, I mean, another the other nice thing about the game is that there's no uh, there's no scoring in it. We just yeah. decided like this is a game that you're gonna play for fun, and if everybody has fun, then that's the goal of the game. Like nobody plays Cards Against Humanity and keeps track of the score. No. So why even bother it? And some people are gonna say, well, it's an activity, not a game. But like you don't keep scoring Dungeons and Dragons and. No, you don't win Dungeons and Dragons, and that's a game. So, and there seems to be um, there seems to be kind of like a, almost like a popularity for there to be enjoyment coming out of an out of a box, um, which isn't necessarily a box of chocolates or a box of wine. But you've got the escape games, uh, the exit games that seem to be happening at the moment. There's mm-hmm. a lot of them getting made. Um, 
I kind of we on you know earlier in the week we had Tom Clare on with the Champion in the Wild, which is again it's about making up the funniest kind of event that different animals could kind of get involved in. So, um, <laughs> as far as you were concerned, was this kind of like a nice? I don't know. Was this kind of like a nice palate cleanser to get involved in something where there wasn't kind of like massive amounts of mechanics? You could just kind of throw around some ideas of how it was going to work. It it was. Um, I would say we still spent a surprising amount of time playtesting and balancing it. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was just because we enjoyed it so much um, that we'd play it whenever we got a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of little things, like figuring out like what um, lexical items work best on the cards, or um, we developed, uh, because we have a few players in our group who don't like um, games where they have to think of stuff on the spot, yeah. so we came up with this uh, producer role that doesn't actually talk during the game, um, they just kind of like sit off to the side and use these producer cards to like direct the game and like throw wrenches into it, All right, um, okay. and introduce new aspects to it while they're playing it, so that even people who don't like to do that can still have a good time and enjoy it. So is it kind of like the guy that would stand at the side of like say the whose line is it anyway, like the improv show? Yeah, kind of, or like you know the producer behind the scenes on uh, you know behind the camera. Yeah. Where, you know, he's, like, writing notes on a board and, like, holding them up for the the news crew to, you know, tell them, like, oh, cut to interview or things like that. Oh, right, okay. So you can put people in situations where they're having to kind of make stuff up on the spot so the producer can be quite an evil person if they kind of want to. (laughs) Yeah, they can. And and it also has some safety valves in it, too. Like, if you have another player that's, like, kind of... um, you know, not quite sure how to put together their uh, piece yet, especially like later in the game, where you have multiple three things written on three different cards. Mm-hmm. Um, like they can throw the technical difficulties card out, oh, right. um, and you know, kind of direct the people to you know take the pressure off that person and put it on somebody else and give them a minute to think. Okay, okay, okay. Now at the moment, it is it's it's on Kickstarter. It yep, it's is... on Kickstarter right now. Um, um, I think we have about got... fifteen days left. Yeah, and you can pick up a copy for nineteen shiny US dollars. Yes, which is or two about... copies for relatively cheap, I think. Inexpensive, what... <laughs> cheap as me in a miniskirt. Believe me, <laughs> um, inexpensive is what we like to say. And, yes, and you're. And let's see, you are um, you're almost at eight thousand dollars, and there's a target of eleven. So you've got reasonable amount of time to kind of to kind of get it done. As normal, what we'll do is we'll put um, we'll put a link in the show notes so that everybody can can kind of check it out, and it it kind of looks a lot of fun. This is another project that you've done with uh, Mr. Ben Harkins, mm-hmm. and you've done quite a few um, with Ben now. Is this is this under the kind of the floodgate, the floodgate games banner, isn't it? Well, um, originally I had signed it um, because at one point I thought I wanted to run a uh, publishing company, mm-hmm. uh, so I had incorporated a company called Infectious Play Publishing. Yeah, um, and I'd signed that and another game, uh, Doug Doug Goose Goose Caboose, uh, that J.R. Honeycutt designed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And with my my schedule the way that it is, um, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to publish uh, games as well. Like it just takes up too much time. Yeah. Um, so I kind of I hunted around and tried to find a good fit, and uh, you know Ben and I were talking, and um, we decided that you know uh, working with Floodgate Games is going to be a good decision. Yeah, because I've um, I mean. Um... Man, I've got, um, I'm just kind of, me going down kind of like what Ben's made is kind of like, yep, got, got, got. <laughs> yeah, so he was... Sagrada's fantastic, uh, Legacy, Gears of Time. Yeah, Epic, uh, Resort, Epic Resort, Vault Wars. Vault Wars. Um, yep, all good games. And then there's, as you said, um, well, Sagrada, which mm-hmm. um, is very, very much well-loved. And um, yes. people are quite happy they're able to... Has it come out again, Sagrada, quite recently? Have they published a... done a, a kind of a reprint that I think I was... I believe reading. I talked to them last week at Grand Con, and I think there's a reprint that should be hitting any day now. And it's been a little bit of a... It's been a decent kind of runaway kind of success. I mean, there's been a lot, a lot of love um, for kind of Sagrada, which is... Yeah, everybody's of, very happy with it. That's really, really cool. It's really, really cool indeed. Um, so yeah, no. As I say, we'll put um, we'll put some links into the show notes so that people can check out um, news at eleven. Um, but now let's go to our space uh, our space correspondent um, near outside NASA. It's John Gilmore who's going to tell us a little bit more about asteroids. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Richard. Uh, so asteroids is the uh, it's going to be the third actually in the Atari series. Okay. Um, RDW Games came to me about a year ago and said, hey, uh, we think we're going to be doing these Atari licenses um, and we're going to get five of them. How would you like to essentially curate the entire series? <laughs> um, and what did you say? No, I'm too. I'm far too busy. Um, go away with your Atari <laughs> license nonsense. Leave me alone. I've got stuff to do. Or did you? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it go go like... away with these licenses of the games that I played constantly when I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. I believe I'm dreaming. <laughs> uh, I mean, I instantly said yes. I, I said, you know, I don't even really care what five games they are um, because I played most of them. Yeah. Um, sign me up. <laughs> so yeah, I, you mentioned earlier on that Asteroids is kind of like a dexterity game. So what's that kind of um, what's that kind of all about? Uh, so essentially, um, the, one of the fun challenges of the whole series was to take what were essentially almost all single player games and convert them into multiplayer experiences Mm -hmm. and, and to not make them all just lateral translations of the video game. Mm -hmm. Um, so with asteroids, um, it's two to four players, um, and each player plays a spaceship. Um, that's kind of flicking around on the board, um, but they also control uh, some number of asteroids, and the asteroids have uh, like this slow uh, plotting movement where you're using these uh, like essentially these little pushers to move them around. Yeah, um, and then you can turn them. So like the asteroids, the bigger asteroids um, kind of have less movement, um, but they move a little bit farther. And the smaller asteroids are more maneuverable. Um, and you can score points in a couple different ways. I can score points by 
um, flicking from my uh, shooting from my ship and hitting other players' asteroids, or I can score by hitting the other players with my asteroids. Um, and I think like the really the really cool visual appealing thing and the thing that really ties it uh, to the source material is that the asteroids are these nice like two layer um, chunky pieces. Um, like right now they're made out of foam core in my prototype copy. Yeah. Um, and they're, uh, they're 10 sided. So, uh, it's essentially two layers where the top layer is a lip and then you put cubes inside of it to represent like how many hit points the asteroid has. All right. Okay. So that when you flick it and you hit it, like all these cubes like pop out and they look like pixels all over the screen, like the, the old asteroids game. How long did it take you to figure that out, or did you did you have like an epiphany? Did you wake up like half four in the middle of the night and go, <gasps> cubes, pixels, <laughs> so, that's it, write so, this down. <laughs> so with all of these projects, it was nice, because uh, since I was kind of curating the series, yeah, um, I got to go and find other designers to work with. All right, okay. Um, and I have, I have a local designer, uh, Jim Schock, who's really good at dexterity games so as soon as asteroids came up you know i said hey start thinking about this (laughs) um so he he originally had um the concept of the the flicking around and shooting the asteroids um and we were just playing around with different ideas in the office because he lives you know an hour and a half away from me so he would just come down here for the day if he had a day off and work um and we were playing around with the prototype, and I was like, well, what if we, like, put the cubes on top of the asteroids? Um, and it would kind of do this thing that, like, when you shot them, the asteroid would scoot out from underneath of it, and yeah. then just the cubes would drop down, and it wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I then I was like, well, hold on a minute. So I, like, went to my workbench and, you know, cut out, like, a second copy of all of them, and then cut the middle out and put the cubes in there. Mm-hmm. Um and they they would just kind of explode everywhere when you hit them, and it was really satisfying. <laughs> so, how close are you to? I mean, you said prototype. So, how close are you to kind of finishing the game, to getting the game kind of finished, and kind of approaching kind of like a final version? Then, uh, play wise, we're completely done with it. We're real happy with uh, the mm. gameplay, um, and now it's kind of an idea, and we're still playing it just because we're having a ton of fun playing it. Yeah. Um, but it, IDW is trying to figure out the production part of it, um, and that's that's kind of why it was supposed to be the second game of the series, but it got pushed back to the third game of the series. Okay. Because uh, they want to make sure that the the bits are all perfect. Okay. Okay. So, what other games in the series are are are, are going to be coming out? What can we expect to see? Well, um, Centipede came out at Gen Con, um, so you should be able to find that. Um, at most local game stores right now, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what other. If it, I'm not sure if it went to Target or GameStop or ThinkGeek or any of the other places, um, but it should be pretty widely available. Um, and that was designed by Nicole and Anthony uh, of Cardboard Fortress Games. Uh, yeah. They are the designers of uh, Laser Riders and Resistor. Oh, Laser Riders in the video game box. In the video, yeah. the videotape box. Yeah, and like the VHS boxes. Oh yeah. Um, so they designed that one, 
And that's the most literal translation of the series. Um, it's two or four player. Um, and in both cases, uh, in the two player, one player plays the gnome and the other player plays the centipede. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of head to head, um, asymmetric where each side plays kind of completely differently. The centipede uses, uh, cards to kind of control the board and the gnome is doing like this really fun dice draft, uh, (laughs) to, like, choose what actions they have available. Um, and then Missile Command will be the next one, and I'm just wrapping up everything with that. Um, and it's a uh, four- to six-player uh, negotiation game. Um, what? Hang on, hold the phone. A negotiation, yeah. a negotiation game. Yeah, negotiation game. Uh, the designer on that one um, kind of had this concept for this like uh, really light negotiation game that kind of felt um, like diplomacy, but plays yeah. in about forty-five minutes um, and really fit the theme fantastically. So we kind of worked on polishing that, and it it hums like it's <laughs> it's about thirty to forty-five minutes every time, and it's this really brutal. Yeah. Uh, negotiation where you're buying missiles out of the middle of the table of like the other players' colors and then negotiating deals. Um, and the kind of the thematic tie to Missile Command is after the negotiation phase where we've made all our deals and bought all our missiles, mm-hmm. um, we take them all behind our player shields and we have this Missile Command board um, that we program out where we're shooting the missiles. Mm. Um, and so the missiles are all color coded. So if you're the, if you're the blue player, if I put a blue missile in lane number one, then it's going to be shooting at your number one city in front of you. All right. Now, if I'm the orange player and you put an orange missile in lane number one, our two missiles will hit each other and explode. All right. Okay. Just like in the video game. Just like in the video. I was going to say that just like in the video game. Yeah. Yeah. And then beyond that, it's just like, so you, you negotiate, you resolve explosions um, yeah. As soon as one player's cities are completely exploded, then you score, and that's the end of the game. Yeah, I was going to say if people don't remember Missile Command, if there's a there's a scene in Terminator Two where John Connor is playing Missile Command, and then I had to double check myself because I realised that Terminator Two is like twenty five years old, so there's going <laughs> to be <laughs> so there's going to be a whole pile of people that are going to go, what Terminator Two? Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's gonna. I think it just had its like three D release. So, it's um, <laughs> if you go along and watch that. Obviously, other films about Terminators are available. Um, but um, yeah, it's about. You'll only need to stay for like the first fifteen minutes or something because that's when the scene happens. And then what to do is to go out and then track down a, a kind of a, a copy of um, of Missile Command the board game. I mean, when um, when's that due to kind of be released? Um, I know, uh, so Asteroids just came out. Yeah. I think Missile Command will be, uh, sometime in the first quarter of next year, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Maybe second quarter. Okay, okay. Uh, and then, uh, then Asteroids will be probably Gen Con next year. I'm kind of, um, I really need to, I really need to definitely make sure I'm not looking at the internet for the next couple of months to see when these are coming out because <laughs> I am, you know, obviously my, the first console I ever remember playing was an Atari 2600. 
so I remember playing kind of Space Invaders. I definitely played Centipede. There was didn't play Missile Command, but Asteroids. Certainly remember kind of playing that at some point in some kind of machine. So this is kind of hitting a kind of a nostalgia button, definitely for me. Was there um was there a reason that the I guess they published them directly because they could, and they didn't see the point in kind of going to kind of Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, was that kind of like a conscious a conscious decision by IDW from the kind of the very beginning that they were just going to go ahead and just kind of self publish it because they could? Um, uh, they certainly do a mix. They have um pretty uh pretty well defined like what is a Kickstarter game for them and what isn't. Yeah. So, like, Ninja Turtles was a Kickstarter game, because it's tons of minis. Yeah. Um, same with Legend of Korra that's on there right now. Yeah, 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 I saw that. Uh, but, what, I mean, yeah, but they yeah. had, like, ten Gen Con releases that weren't Kickstarter games. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of see the mixture where you get games that, you know, they need... It's almost a case of on games that are going to be... going to have higher production values, then it's kind of um, worthwhile seeing... You know, getting that, I guess the Kickstarter will help you decide what the interest is in the game, but it'll also help. You know, let's face it, tooling miniatures is uh, is an expensive is <laughs> an expensive kind of business, basically. So, yeah. but then on the on the other side of it, you've got kind of like Pandasaurus because Wasteland, you know, Wasteland wasn't um, kickstarted, but Dinosaur Island was, which um, mm-hmm. which was kind of uh, kind of like an interesting an interesting take. Um, well, but, they had they had a vision for the deluxe edition that they knew wasn't realistic to offer at mass market. Yeah, um, but they wanted to do they wanted to offer the deluxe edition with the metal coins and uh, you know all the really nice plastic bits and everything else. Um, and we knew that we just couldn't do that uh, going direct to market. So when are you getting your copy of Dinosaur Island? Have you got one already, or you got to wait until they kind of come in on the boat, like everyone else? Um, I have a I have a pre-release copy coming my way. Um, we had two demo copies of it that we had kind of uh, made especially for Gen Con, hmm. um, but somebody stole one of them. So I was supposed oh. to use that the last few weeks uh, at conventions, but I wasn't able to. Some people. <laughs> Let's just not want to give them the time on this at all. But um, if you know who you are, I hope you're very disappointed in, in yourself. And I hope you get a paper cut. A big one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mm. I mean, I, I'm interested to know like what they're going to do with it. Like, yeah. You can't really take it out and play it. Because people will be like, oh, how do you have this copy of this game that raised <laughs> a ton of money on Kickstarter? Are you going to wait six months? And then it's going to be the case of you never told me I had this game. Why didn't you bring it to us kind of like four months ago? You can't sell it because the first thing <laughs> yeah. that somebody's going to do is they're going to check it on kind of like they're going to go and try and price it and see well how much is it is. Oh, it's not out yet. Where did you get your hands on it? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been keeping an eye on eBay and BGG just in case it pops up. But. Yeah, because the type of person that would probably steal it would probably be the type of person that would put an advert in the classifies to say. <laughs> Going one copy, Dinosaur Island, <laughs> freshly from a freshly from a trip to a convention. Um, one careful owner, um, you know. 
Is, um, I mean, is, is there some kind of like, are there scalpers for this that you can go to? Like, I don't know. Is there a board game fence somewhere that I don't know about? There's <laughs> some kind of guy that's like, you know, if you can get it fresh from a convention, then you're kind of you're kind of on. I don't know. Yeah, it must I, I, be I can move this thing. for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know anyone who could shift dice. No, he can shift dice. He does. He's got Dinosaur Island as well in the back. He's got Dinosaur Island. Has he got that copy of the Long Night as well? Yeah, he's got that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got we got the custom dice and everything. <laughs> so, I mean, you sound like um, you're just you know you're like the the juggernaut of the games industry in terms of the kind of the design <laughs> side of things. Are you um, with you getting involved in so many product projects rather? And I'll learn to talk. Do you sometimes have to kind of like take a step back? Do you have to kind of like um, say, you know, say no? Does Do you occasionally get the point in the back and the waggle of the finger from um, from your from your wife about, you know, you actually need to maybe slow down kind of thing? Uh, yeah, she and a few of my... Cause, I mean, I have a really good uh, local design group and we meet up for playtesting every Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will just kind of shake their heads when I say that I picked up a new project. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, they'll tell me that I'm doing too much or, you know, I'm, I'm pushing myself too hard. Yeah. But, I mean, because I'm freelance, um, I know that I have to keep, like, a very specific uh, release schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though Dead of Winter has done fantastically well, like, I'm aware that it's going to have uh, a tail to it at some point. Um, and, you know, hopefully it'll keep selling, you know, at least some copies every month. But, you know, that number will be less and less until it kind of stabilizes. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very aware, like, as soon as I took that safety net of having my full-time job away, like, I knew that I had to... Uh, at least for the first few years, try to, you know, A, be prolific and B, release only games that I was going to be very, very proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, Dead of Winter is great, but it's it's not my product at the end of the day. Um, no. My name is my product. Yeah. Uh, and then I have to build up. Um and, you know, I kind of have a five-year plan where, you know, in five years, you know, I'd like to be at the point where I can just work on, like, two big games every two to, you know, every year and a half to two years. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe I'm working, you know, ideally, you know, I'd have the Eric Lane situation where, you know, I'm I'm full-time with a company that really likes my work and, you know, I'm helping them to develop and I'm designing things for them. Are you um, got kind of looks on things like cons- consultancy and things like that at all? Um, I've picked up a few things like that recently. I'm doing a little bit of development for a couple different companies. Mm-hmm. Um, a few companies are trying to contact me and say, hey, you know, we have this project we're stuck on. Can we bring you on board? So yeah. I've been trying to pick up a few things like that too recently just to kind of flesh out my portfolio and say, you know, I don't just design, but I do these other things too. Yeah. I mean, it must be difficult to, um, 
is there still a kind of a plethora of ideas that you have that you're still kind of thinking that you still want to get to the table? Are you more kind of taking other people's ideas and kind of reworking them? Or? Um, I really like doing both. Um, every time I feel like I'm completely out of ideas, I'll come up with something else. So yeah. like, I don't feel like I'm tapped out. I kind of, I've done most of the games that I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dinosaur Island was a big one that Brian and I uh, started to talk about. Um, you know, I've got my, I've got a comic book game coming out, which is really exciting. Oh, okay. Um, uh, based on Wayward by Jim Zub. Okay. Um, which is a fantastic comic book. Um, so I've kind of, it's been nice because I've been able to check mark off a lot of those boxes that I wanted to do early on. Yeah. Um, so now I'm kind of, if somebody comes with, to me, um, like with Path of Light and Shadow, that wasn't an idea that I had at first. That was, um, you know, idea that Travis Chance had. He said, hey, we have this idea for a game mm-hmm. and we don't know how to design it. Um, we want the Game of Thrones game that no one else is making. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, because like I, I feel like everybody else is making the obvious Game of Thrones game, where it's like it's either the you know Game of Thrones uh, board game where it's you know kind of diplomacy and backstabbing, but they're all at the end of the day they're all like dudes on a map. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to me, that my like my favorite part of Game of Thrones is when the heads of the different households are like going around Westeros and gathering different armies and bringing them into the fold. So I wanted to explore that portion of it. Yeah. What did, what did you think of the, um, fire and ice Kickstarter then? Uh, it looked really good. I mean, Eric's design's fantastic. I don't think those games are bad, but whenever I start a design, I always try to approach it by like crossing off the obvious design decisions that Mm -hmm. other people would make. Um, you know, with dinosaur Island, like, we originally said that we wanted to do a worker placement dinosaur game, but we didn't want it to be like just like Agricola or just like Caverna. Yeah. Um, we wanted to try to approach it from different directions. Um, and so I always, I always try to do that first. Is there, I mean, is there genres that you would have to push yourself to kind of do? I mean, are you, are you kind of open to kind of doing anything at all? I'm, I'm pretty open. Um, I, uh, I have a couple projects that I've recently, and we can talk about them after the podcast. Okay, okay. Um, but things that I didn't think I would do, uh, mm-hmm. that I will. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't say any more than that though. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's some things I, I didn't think that I would approach that. Um, but I, I'm fairly open. Like I have, I have some really weird, da- like. I'm kind of to the point in my career where I'm doing some really weird uh, games. Like I have a, I have a di- like a push your luck dice game that's about like building and maintaining relationships with other people. And it's weird, <laughs> and it's more <laughs> like right now I don't know if it's more art than game or more game than art. Oh no, it's um, not because the question it's, it's like games really are. hard to maintain like multiple relationships at the same time. Oh wow, that must be. Um... That must be kind of like when you're doing the kind of the brainstorming for that. It's kind of like you say, well, well let's let's talk about um, relationships, and then you write a whole thing down, and then you end up sobbing in the corner because yeah. you're like, oh, no. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was one playtest of it um, where somebody was like, oh, like, like breaking up with somebody is a real feel-bad moment. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I think it should be. Like, that's that's kind of the point, right? Like, when a relationship ends, it's sad. Yeah. So maybe the game's doing the right thing. I, I don't know if it's fun, but it's, it's succinct and it, it's doing it. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Is it not kind of... Um... You get to the point where board games have to explore more than the kind of the emotions of joy and gratitude and winning and having you kind of think about consequences and stuff like that. I know recently there was um, with this war is mine mm-hmm. kind of seeming to go out in general release. There's a lot of people that have said, um, I you know I would probably sit down, put on some Radiohead. Um, and then put on play this war is mine if I was in such a super good mood that I was being annoying and hyper and I needed <laughs> to kind of calm down because I think um, certainly when I was um, a recent podcast I was listening to with uh, Polyhedron Collider um, and Andy and Steve were talking about their experiences with it and it wasn't like they weren't kind of walking away going this was a joyous game to play they were kind of walking away going this is tough, it's really difficult, it kind of, it's not fun, it's an experience and it's kind of to make you kind of learn about how desperate war kind of is for the people that are having to kind of live through it. So that's, again, I guess that's kind of, is that, I mean, you see it in video games, they're trying to kind of explore the kind of the emotional depths that you can take people through. Um, I know there was I mean, the most recent one I played myself was worth playing is the Hellblade one, which is the. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it. It's about you're taking. It's it's about a girl that's suffering from like the symptoms of almost like psychosis. So you hear you you're playing the game and it requests you play with earphones, and you hear voices kind of constantly in your head, kind of guessing you, second guessing you, telling you you're doing a good job telling you you're a terrible person kind of thing so it's kind of you know our board games at the point now where we're kind of it's not just about totting up points and winning are people going to start exploring kind of making people kind of think about the the game getting a bit kind of a more kind of a emotional investment i mean that's the kind of the video games are trying to do that it'd be interesting to see if well i mean in some ways dead of winter made you deal with kind of guilt <laughs> Mm-hmm. It made you deal with sacrifice. It made you deal with betrayal. So, um, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that it did well. It wasn't just like, oh, look, we've killed 15 zombies. haha, I win kind of thing. It was a case of, well, I'm going to make sure that everybody kind of starves in this round by kind of chucking away all the cards or putting junk in the in the communal pot kind of thing, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. It wasn't just about, like, awesomely killing the zombies because... Hmm. You know, again, like that was the obvious thing that the other zombie games were doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I I love Zombie Side and I love Last Night on Earth, but neither of them make the decisions that I wanted to make. No. Um, and I think I think it's it took it's it's nice because our video game or our our board game industry had the video game industry kind of uh, you know. Um, breaking ground for us the last what uh 40 years ish probably longer right yeah yeah um yeah probably close to 50 years yeah um, don't because you make me feel even older <laughs> <laughs> it, 
And it's taken the video game industry a long time uh, to get acceptance that games are, or can be art. Yeah. Not that they always are. Um, yeah. And it's nice because now that that discussion's already been had by video games, it's a lot easier to get people to say, okay, well, board games can be art too. <laughs> um. But I think, you know, for sure, like, I I really want to try to explore more of the human condition, because I think that's a, a beautiful thing for us to do, um, and, I, and I definitely hope more people do. Um, I was really lucky uh, early on when, when Fod of Love was running its Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Um, I reached out to the designer of that, and, like, he sent me a prototype copy of it. So, like, I've been playing Fod to Love for a couple of years, and I think that's another game that, like, it's really cool in both the both that and Dead of Winter to, like, watch people make decisions, like, not based on mechanics. No. But based on, like, how they feel. Yeah, I mean, it allows them to sometimes kind of step out themselves a little bit and kind of play through the character and say, what am I going to do as a person? Kind of like, what would I do if I was actually this character in this situation, which is always kind of... It's always kind of really, really. It's always kind of really, really interesting. Um, yeah, and it's it's easier for some of us. Like some of us play games for that escapism. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's really easy to slip into a character and make my decisions in that way. Um, but for like other people, like my wife, it's really difficult for her too. So I think games can be a very powerful tool to do that. Are you still doing your regular kind of um, meetups uh, at your home then? Are you still getting a lot of people kind of coming around and experiencing games and stuff like that? Or have you had to slow that down because of how busy you've been? Um, uh, at the end of last year, um, we bought a house. So we kind of slowed down a little bit while we were um, you know, getting the new house ready because we didn't have a place that was very convenient to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've kind of ramped back up. Uh, actually, this Saturday is our next one. All right, okay. So hopefully we'll have 20 or 30 people over Saturday to play games. Cool, cool. Which is nice, because it... it's the first weekend in, like, six weekends that I'm not going to a convention. <laughs> so I'm going to still, I'm gonna you'll still be able to get You'll be able games, to get but... up out of bed and say, right, I don't have to have a five-minute shower, grab a quick breakfast, get in the car, and prepare myself to drive somewhere or fly somewhere or think about a hotel or something like that you'll be just be able to get up and go right put these sweatpants on maybe get myself a shower <laughs> kind of have some breakfast and kind of chill out a bit and, was, and, and spend a day playing somebody else's games that I didn't design I know do you I mean do you have to switch off the kind of the designer um, mode in your head um, do you kind of like step away and say right okay I'm just going to play the game for what it is, um, and just enjoy it. Are you are you able to switch off and and you allow your brain to do that, or are you always constantly thinking, well, that's actually a really good mechanic. I could use it somewhere else, or as you just use these games to just kick back, relax, and kind of chill out. I have a really hard time switching it off now, um, but I've always been very non-competitive when I play games. Like yeah. I've always I've always played them just to have fun and I really don't care if I win or lose. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's nice because I can just kind of say, well, you know, 
I'm, I'm just going to play this. I'm going to have fun, and I'm going to kind of explore the space that the designers made. Mm-hmm. Is there any games that you have um, you've been enjoying recently? Then that have kind of really kind of caught your interest and caught your intrigue. Uh, well, I think I think Mansions of Madness is the best game to come out last year. Yeah, um, the second edition. I think it's a perfect ten. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, I think it's a fantastic. It's it's the best implementation of an app in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic because I played like this the the very first scenario probably about fifteen times, and it feels different every time. Yeah. Um, and it has this really amazing thing that I can like I can replay the same scenario mm-hmm. and like try to figure out different ways to beat it that aren't very obvious. So that's like, getting almost lo- is that getting a lot of time to the table at the moment then, yeah? Uh almost whenever I can get a chance. Like it's one of the few games that I've been hauling to the conventions with me. Uh-huh. Just in case like I have time to play a game like <laughs> at ten o'clock at night after the hall's closed and you know, we want to play something. Okay, okay. And is is and is anything else kind of um kind of caught your interest at the moment that's going to be kind of that you've seen that's going to be coming out that you've went oh I've got to keep an eye on that or make sure I get my hands on a copy um I just traded for a copy of Ex Libris okay. I'm really excited for that from uh, uh, from Renegade Games uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I think that game looks fantastic so I'm, I'm really hoping it's good <laughs> um, what else uh Oh, I just got Spirit Island, and I'm really excited to play that. I've heard a lot of good things about that. Yeah, yeah, it seems... There seems to be games that come along which don't have a massive fanfare when they first come out, and then there seems to be, like, the hype train kind of builds for them, and there's a lot of people that kind of really, kind of really, really like them. Um, I think Dice Forge quite recently, kind of a lot of people have... I've, I kind of got myself... Um, a copy of that based on the fact that people were just saying, listen, it's light, it's fun, it's glorious, but it's got the it's got an amazing kind of uh, tray in it for organising all the stuff once you kind of have to take it out and put it away. The setup time is kind of like next to nothing in terms of how it goes, but it's it's a nice little shiny, shiny little game that has artwork that's very, very similar to the Dark Crystal because <laughs> it looks <laughs> like it's got the Dark Crystal kind of on the... Oh, a, a dice forge, right? That's the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it feels like um, the art in it feels a lot like seasons. Yes, like it looks like it belongs in that world or uh, Lords is it it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but and the dark crystal. I can see that too. Definitely. I don't know if they've. I don't know if there was rumors about the. Um, if there's been rumors about a Dark Crystal game, if they're making that, or I don't know if I got. Oh uh, yeah, confused. but people have posted pictures of the box and the components. I think. Yeah, I just I don't know. What's your view on the the kind of the using using all these IPs to kind of like build kind of board games out of it? Because I've seen I've seen good and bad. I saw um, I saw the Kickstarter for Total Recall, and I've I think I, I spoke about this recently on another show, but. The it seemed okay, and it seemed to be like an intrigue type game where you were deciding who was the good guys and who were the kind of like the bad guys. But are you what? What's your viewpoint on them kind of 
We seem to be a new IP getting brought out in cardboard format, kind of every kind of every second or third week. The Terminator game got announced. The Fallout Four game has kind of been announced. I've seen Labyrinth kind of out there. I mean, what's what's, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think that the percentage of bad IP games is very similar to the percentage of bad games in general that are coming out. <laughs> right, okay. Um, and I don't... I, people seem to be turned off by IP-based games, and I think there is just as many poorly play-tested and developed games that don't have IPs. Yeah, if not yeah. More. Yeah, yeah. See, it's different, like, when you were talking about kind of, like, asteroids and, you know, asteroids and missile command and centipede, because you have to do something with the IP. You have to be kind of inventive to create a game out of that. Mm -hmm. But I'm just concerned that I've seen, again, maybe this goes back to video games, that I've seen so many lazy tie-ins between video games and movie IPs to kind of put my... to kind of make me a bit concerned at the number that seem to kind of be going to be coming out. Um... We've got Resident Evil 2, that board game's going to be coming out kind of really soon on Kickstarter. And um, again, I heard people talk about the Labyrinth game and they weren't entirely enamoured with what had, what had kind of happened or what the kind of the, the end result was. But we'll see. We'll see what happens, you know. As I say, there could be... You know, I've seen games like Anachrony where I want to get my hands on. Um, I'm personally dying to see... What's happening with Charterstone as well? Yeah. I believe there's been a gameplay video released, so I think I'm going to be. I, I think checking. Rodney just posted his how to play. Yeah, I know. Good old yeah. Rodney. You know. Um, but yeah, I I think it, you know it's enticing as a designer because you know I get excited about the chance to play, um, in these worlds that I enjoy, like with with Wayward. Um, you know, I told Jim, uh, you know, uh, that it's been really fun, like getting to play in this sandbox that he created and, you know, trying to figure out how to make the game that does the thing that it's supposed to do the best, the best way possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and mm -hmm. I, and I think if, if a designer holds themselves up to making the best game possible, then IP, IP games are just fine. Yeah. But yeah. when, when people are looking uh, like I, uh, I, you know, I can't mention specifics, but um, like I know of a game that's an IP-based game that's going to market. Uh, they're going to kickstart it, and like they don't have any intentions of going to retail with it afterwards. Hmm. So like they don't really care if the game's good or bad. Like they're going to sell however many copies they sell on Kickstarter, and then be done with it. Yeah, um, and that's bad for our industry. That is uh. Yeah, that's a concern. Yeah, so I mean, when people do anything, I mean, people smell blood in the water right now with our industry. Yeah, you can tell uh, that. Yeah, yeah. And there's people that are going to do awful, awful things, just like we've seen happen in the video game industry. Yeah. And I think if we don't learn from the video industry and try the, the video game industry and try to address those problems before they happen um, and have those conversations before they're kind of forced um, I, I think we're going we're gonna to just face the same problems that's 
that's like one of the reasons that I'm so outspoken about like social stuff in our industry because I think one of the reasons that Gamers Gate was such a big issue is because the toxic people had been in that industry for so long that they were everywhere. Yeah. And like, I mean, we need to try to like get those, get that out of our industry now before it becomes a problem in five or 10 years. Yeah. 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 So hopefully, hopefully they learn. (laughs) It's about, I don't know. It's about making people aware of, um, I guess it's, the unfortunate thing, as soon as a thing becomes popular and you want it to be available to everybody, then ultimately you will attract kind of everybody. And then, it, you know, it's, it's almost like a double-edged sword. And I think I've said this in a couple of shows before, is that I think there are some people that like board games kind of being a niche that don't have the kind of the mass market appeal because they're worried about if they open the doors and everybody comes in, what's going to be kind of be coming with it. And I think that happens to any kind of pastime or hobby that becomes kind of very, very popular as the kind of the kind of the audience that will come in with it at the same time once everybody is kind of interested in it. So, and and while board games have been around for a lot longer, even than video games, if you think about oh, absolutely. what they've been finding them. It's kind of interesting to see what will happen over the next kind of ten, you know, five, ten years, with as it grows and becomes even more popular. Yeah, and when I talk about like our industry being younger than the video game industry, like obviously I'm talking about like the new. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Hobby board game industry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I hope, I hope we do. Yeah, yeah. There is, and I think I think we could do an entire podcast about that. <laughs> we certainly could. We certainly could. But one thing that is very, very important is, and if I'm going to ask this question, I have to ask it to yourself because I don't think there's anyone else more qualified to answer this question, (laughs) is that the zombie apocalypse has happened, Mr. Gilmore. Now, your wife and your family, they are safe and they are locked up and everything is good, but you have been stuck in the middle of the city and you're making your way back from wherever you have been towards your house, but um, the, sh- the the zombie horde is heading your way, so you duck down an alley, and there is a back door open, which you force open more fully, throw yourself in, and then close the door behind you while the rampant undead are heading towards you. When you turn around, you find yourself in what can only be described as a as an emporium of cardboard. It's almost like an entire rainforest has been crushed, pressed, <laughs> and coloured in front of you because you've never seen such a collection of board games. In the middle of the floor, there is a trolley. The trolley is light and nimble and manoeuvrable and even has one of those air brakes so it can stop if you're going too fast down a hill. However, it is only big enough to hold three board games, but you can have any expansions... And on your way, you will also meet players, whether they be single single warriors trying to find their way back home or entire communities of people. But the answer to the question of whether they would like to play a board game will always be yes. What three board games 
does the designer of Dead of Winter take with him? This is a very, very good question. Um, I have a very, very small list of tens. Oh, okay. You're allowed uh, three. You're allowed three, and you can have any expansions at all to go with them. And I only, I only have four tens, so this should, <laughs> shouldn't be too hard. Okay. Um, first pitch is Cosmic Encounter, uh, the Fantasy Flight Edition, with all the expansions. Okay. Um, I wouldn't ever want to play it with all eight people. Um, yeah. But I want all those aliens in there. I gotta have them. Okay. okay. Uh, and also the dials from the new expansion, I think, are fantastic. Well, there you go. Okay. That's uh, quick. So, Cosmic Encounter. Uh, and then next is probably going to be Nations. Okay. Um, with with the expansion. Um, I think I think that's the best Civilization game. Um, I know everybody loves Through the Ages, but uh, I think Nations shines. <sighs> Alright, the last one. It's the last one that's a doozy. <laughs> you know. Well, the last one, John. And there's a little bit of banging, slight scratching on the front door as the zombies have noticed that you are inside. Ma- Mansion's you- Madness 2nd Edition. There you go. Yeah, Just like that. It. You pack them in your trolley, you rush down the road, you get home, you have adventures... Pretty much like Kane and Kung Fu, except board game related adventures where you solve problems and you get back to the wife and the kids and everything's fine. So there you go. So thank you for answering. And I um, realize I picked all lawn games. <laughs> I should have well, taken gonna... Hanabi. Hanabi's my other 10. <laughs> well, it's going to be a long time because I don't think there's going to be very much electricity going in <laughs> the, when the apocalypse kind of kicks off. That's fair. Um, listen, thank you very, very much for. For coming on, I'm aware I've kept you on for a long time, so oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, if people are looking to find you on the the interweb nets, where's the best place that they can find you, John? Uh, the best place is on Twitter at John Gilmore, J O N G I L M O E U R. Okay. Um, or on BGG, uh, I think it's J Gilmore is my username on there. Okay. Awesome. Um, what we'll do is we will make sure that we will um, we'll put a, a a batch of notes out there with various links to the projects that we've um, we've chatted about um, today. Um, again, I can only say thank you for for coming on. Um, it's been an, an absolute um, been an absolute pleasure. It's good day uh, to talk to you again. Yeah, I look forward to. We'll have to get you back on again, but maybe not leave it a year this time, because <laughs> you know, because it's good to chat to you. I need um, to make you over to that side of the pond at some point. Yes, I know, I know. I, I mean, it's in our schedule at some point to kind of like go, you know, to take our little show and go to a couple of places all around the world. We'd love to go to Essen. We'd love to. Um, we'd love to obviously get to Gen Con at some point. I think that would be. Absolutely fantastic, and we might just turn up at your front door when you're having your next, um, your big get together, and maybe make it thirty, thirty-one people instead of thirty. I'm, I'm <laughs> a very short drive from Gen Con and Origin, so if you ever wanted to do them, just let me know. I'd be happy to put you up. <laughs> right, okay, I've got that on tape, John, so I'm going to use that. <laughs> you're always welcome. Thank you. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, you can find us all over the social medias as well. So you can go to um, 
Twitter, We're Not Wizards. We're on Facebook at We're Not Wizards. Um, our delightful podcast host, Podbean, automatically put all of our recordings onto YouTube. So if you search for We're Not Wizards Tabletop, you'll find us there. We're on Instagram at We're Not Wizards. Um, if you like what you've heard tonight if you want to get in contact with us you can whether you're um, just interested in asking us questions or if you've maybe got your own little kickstarter campaign that you'd like to come on the show and speak to us about feel free to drop us an email it's magic at wearenotwizards.com if you like what you've heard tonight there's a couple of ways you can support us um <clears throat> i said i would mention it once yes we have a patreon and you can find it at we're not wizards no i'm not begging for money because you know, we're happy where we are, but we obviously appreciate any support. There's t-shirts on Redbubble. They're very nice. I have one. It's very nice. But um, we do like it if you tell other people, though. I think that's the main thing. So if you jump onto Apple Podcasts, um, if you rate us or give us a review, um, just remember, don't give us a 10, because that'll make us big-headed. But don't give us a 1, um, because that will make us cry. Um, give us a five, because it's kind of in the middle. It's kind of average, um, and we're kind of like a little bit average. But um, obviously, the person who's not being average tonight is um, the rather wonderful, the fantastic, kind of little bit of a hero of mine. To be perfectly honest with you, it's um, it's John Gilmore. So thank oh, you, John. Too kind. Thank you. <laughs> and there's only um, there's only two more things to do. And the first thing is to remember that um, we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, John? No, not at all. Absolutely not. Sadly. We are um, we're reporting on a um, we're reporting on a potential zombie incident over on the east side, but we're definitely um, we're definitely not wizards and <laughs> and the uh, the second thing to do is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from John Gilmore. Say goodbye, John. Goodbye, John. <laughs> Fantastic. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes. If you fancy um, talking the news, talking the weather, talking the sport, check out News at 11. Um, if you fancy taking yourself back into the retro arcade, then there are these lovely Atari games which are either going to be winging their way on to you at your local friend the local game store or will be available online or will be coming out in the near future um, but until the next time goodbye <laughs>